Our Old Testament reading is from Exodus chapter 13, verses 1 uh, through 6. And Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word which you've given to us. And God, there are so many distractions from hearing your word, from really paying attention uh, to what you have said and the ways in which you are leading us. God, we do pray that you would uh, give us attentive ears and minds and hearts this morning, but always. God, we do pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. Exodus chapter 13, verses 1 through 6. This is as the God is bringing the people out of Egypt, of slavery in Egypt. And um, chapter 13 goes like this. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether human or animal. Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today, in the month of Aviv, you are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the land he swore to your ancestors to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day, hold a festival to the Lord. Our gospel reading this morning is from Mark chapter 14. Verses 66 through 72. This is after Jesus has been arrested. And so we are reading an exodus of the people being saved from slavery in Egypt. And we're looking in the gospel at, um, at Jesus going to the cross. But before he gets there, this is Mark 14, verses 66 to 72. So while Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said, but he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out in the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow was one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call curses, call down curses and swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you'll disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we are uh, still looking at the book of Revelation, but that's not where we're going to start today. We'll, we'll get there. I'm going to start us in Ephesians chapter 6, because Ephesians chapter 6, as uh, Paul is wrapping up this whole letter to the church in Ephesus, he has talked about uh, what God has done for us in Jesus and in the whole first half of the letter. And the second half of the letter is, so then here's how you live. Here's how that actually uh, goes for the people who are uh, followers of Jesus. And then you get to the very end and you get uh, in chapter six, 
starting in verse 10, he says, and this should sound familiar, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly, as I should. There are several things in here that I want us to kind of have in mind as we approach our sermon text in um, Revelation this morning. And one of those is, you, you notice there's a battle going on, right? But our battle is not against flesh and blood. As another translation has it, our battle is not against human beings. And this is so hard for us to have in mind because we can very quickly think of, of people where we're like, I'm pretty sure I'm against that person. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to be against uh, who they are and everything they're about. And uh, really, if I could bring them down, that would be the best. No. That's not it. And in fact, when you keep going through there and you look at, then Paul says, here's, here's how we do battle today. Here's what it is. As a Christian, here's how we do battle. He says, put on this kind of armor. And you notice it's armor. It's defensive. It's so that uh, you are not destroyed by these things. But there is one offensive weapon. Actually, I would, there may be two. One is the sword. And what is the sword? Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That's it. And so it's actually by proclaiming the gospel. It is by uh, declaring the, who Jesus is and what God has done, like who, he, who God is and what he's done for the world in Jesus. This is our weapon. I'm going to go, that's ridiculous. Yeah, read 1 Corinthians 1. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's foolishness to the world. That doesn't seem like a very effective weapon against all these other kinds of things. He says, yeah, but, but here's what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is, um, is be able to stand firm against all these things. And the more that we are actually um, declaring the gospel, the more that is something that is getting into us as well. And so he says... Uh, so that when the so therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand stand firm then three times stand 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 we're not running away we're not charging into attack we are standing firm uh, with what Jesus has given us uh, to do and to be. Keeping that in mind, we look at the. Uh, the idea of this, the word of God. Oh, sorry, I said there were two offensive weapons. One, 
the word of God. The second one, did you catch it? His prayer. <laughs> uh, he actually mentions multiple times, uh, verses 18 and following, uh, pray in the spirit on all kinds. Uh, pray also for me um, and pray that I may declare. Like this is, this is a part of this whole battle is prayer. Why? Because this is not something that we can do on our own or in our own strength. Turning to Hebrews chapter 4, looking at the word of God. Listen to this. Again, something may sound familiar. (laughs) It says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So again, the word of God being compared to a sword. But also, do you hear the um, dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart? Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. It's with all of this in mind that we come to Revelation 19. Because in Revelation 19, we are seeing... Um, kind of a part two in a series of judgment on evil and wickedness in all its forms. And so uh, starting in chapter 12, we saw this, this dragon who is, uh, who is Satan or the devil and um, an ancient serpent introduced. And then following that, we get uh, the, the beast that comes out of the sea and the beast that comes out of the land and uh, who are following the dragon. And then we see after that Babylon, this whole empire uh, that comes up and is uh, trying also following the, following the beast, following the dragon and uh, trying to lead everyone astray, etc. Rule over, trample over everyone as much as possible. What we saw then in the past couple of weeks and what we're seeing now is this Reversal of the same order that they appeared in, but in but backwards. And so they are introduced, and now we're going to go backwards one at a time and knock them down. <laughs> and so uh, we've seen the destruction of Babylon, and now we're going to go back and we're going to look at uh, the destruction of um, of the beast, the the beast land, the beast of the sea, the beast and the false prophet uh, accordingly. And then uh, later we will get to actually the the judgment of Satan himself. So with this in mind, we're seeing this judgment on uh, the, the beast. And again, in some really uh, visionary language, lots of uh, pictures and images. And so it does get a bit graphic, particularly towards the end of this passage. Fair warning. But I would encourage you as you hear this to be thinking of um, like picture the scene and then also be thinking of connections that are being made to other parts of the Bible as you hear it. Here we go. Uh, chapter Revelation 19, starting at verse 11. John says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him, that no one knows but himself. 
He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all, uh, to all the birds flying in midair, Come, gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured, and with the false prophet who had, before, had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs he deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive in a lake of, into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Yeah, I warned you, it gets a little graphic. But what is the point? What is going on here? And it is that, uh, that judgment of the beast and of the false prophet, which we've looked at before as the state and then those who are uh, kind of the false prophets trying to get people to worship the state, to get all of their identity from the state and to serve the state in opposition to serving God. Now, that doesn't mean these are always in opposition, obviously. You look back to someone like uh, Daniel, who's actually serving in the actual Babylon, and he is able to serve in Babylon. And uh, that is not a problem until there are certain lines that are crossed. And Daniel, at that point, says, I cannot cross those lines. And so the question is not... Can you be a good citizen of the kingdom of heaven and or do you like or a citizen of the country you belong to? Like it's not always either or. Sometimes you can be a good citizen of both. The question is when you can't do both, which one has your loyalty? Which one has your ultimate allegiance? Which one is it that uh, when push comes to shove? You say, I am a follower of Jesus, even if that puts me at odds with the state. Um, it is interesting that here in the United States, we actually have a pledge of allegiance. And as a part of our pledge of allegiance, we say it is one nation under God. That This is something that we do acknowledge um, that even as we are pledging our allegiance to the state. It is by no means our ultimate allegiance, that that belongs only uh, and exclusively to God. So here we see, uh, and this is one of the reasons why, is because every state has a, a feature in common, uh, some more so, some less so, but there is this feature in common that is a um, a way that is in opposition to God. And that that 
is what will one day go away, be ended forever. We see this when uh, Jesus is showing up on this uh, white horse. I don't know if you've picked up that that is Jesus that's showing up there. It doesn't actually call him Jesus, but it gives us enough clues here. Uh, He's the one who's called faithful and true. His eyes are like blazing fire. He's on his head are many crowns. We've seen this kind of language before in Revelation talking about Jesus. And then we even see that (laughs) coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter, etc. And he's king of kings and lord of lords. Yeah, this is Jesus. Actually, if you go back to Isaiah, there's actually a lot of stuff in Isaiah picked up in this passage. We're not going to look at all of it, but if you go to Isaiah chapter 11, that's the chapter that starts, a shoot, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And this is one of those that is very clearly pointing forward to the Messiah. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight Uh, In the fear of the Lord, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt. Faithfulness, the sash around his waist. It goes on from there. And so when we're looking at how uh, this rider on the white horse is described, it's very much in keeping with the Messiah language and uh, and who Jesus is. And so, um, so when we have Jesus showing up, he is showing up to judge with justice, to, uh, to say what is true and what is right, and who is uh, on who are those who are uh, with him and who are those who are opposed to him? There's a huge distinction there. Notice also that the way this battle goes, the way that, uh, and we see this battle depicted multiple times throughout Revelations, the same battle that we kind of keep coming back to but looking at it from a different angle. And so, you know, we looked at the fall of Babylon. Now we're looking at the destruction of the beast. Now we're going to look at uh, the judgment of Satan. But we just keep coming at it again and again. And every time, it's, it's incredible, this huge battle that all the kings are kind of gathered together for this big battle. And then the descriptions of the battle are always so anticlimactic. <laughs> There's just no battle. There is no contest. And so here again, um, it's like, then I saw, this is verse 19, uh, then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with a false prophet. And it's like, oh, it's over like that. It's just over. And again, it seems that the, um, the primary weapon is the sword. And it's not... The, uh, the sword that everybody else is, uh, is carrying, this is the sword that Jesus has. This coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword. And then later, the rest were killed with the sword coming out of the mouth of the writer. This is the word of God. The word of God. And you say, well, that's, 
that's not powerful. Read Genesis 1. The word of God is very powerful. God said, let there be light, and there was light. That's pretty powerful. You read the rest of the chapter. It goes on from there. And God said, and it happened. And when Jesus shows up and with the word of God pronounces what is true and right judgment, not the way that we see things today, but judgment with actual complete insight, then what he says goes. And this complete insight is what that uh, verse 12 is about. His eyes are like blazing fire. <laughs> that just seems weird. We've actually seen this earlier in Revelation. This is just about that um, the piercing, being able to look through everything, the knowing it all. It's like Superman x-ray vision, but instead of being able to see through walls, he can see right into your heart and your soul and your mind and your will. Your motivations. This is what we were looking at with uh, Hebrews 4, that uh, judging the thoughts and attitudes of the heart, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. That's what we're seeing here. As there will come a day where not only does Jesus see it all, but he actually declares what's what about it all. Um, This is... Thinking on what it's like for Jesus to see what's really there. This is, uh, it's not what we're used to. Because, you know, you probably know the saying, you know, you can fool some of the people all the time and all the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time. Heard this, right? There should be one more line to it, which is you can fool Jesus none of the time. (laughs) We can fool ourselves. We can fool each other. We can't fool him. He knows what's going on uh, in our hearts. He knows our hidden motivations, even when we're trying to hide our motivations from ourselves, even when we are doing something that we know is not his way, but we try to twist it around even to ourselves, to justify it to ourselves, like, no, really, this is the good and right thing to do. No, really, this is the godly thing to do. No, really, this is the Christian thing to do, when we know it's not. And he knows. Meanwhile, we have this whole other um, group, the armies of heaven, who are most likely actually the people of God. The people of God who are dressed, you remember how they're dressed? Dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Remember what Jesus is wearing in this scene? It's not fine linen, white and clean. Isn't that weird? We've seen him dressed like that uh, early in Revelation, but here he's dressed in a robe that is dipped in blood. Yeah. What in the world? Well, we saw before that these um, the fine linen, white and clean, in earlier in chapter 19, it says fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. And so we say, okay, well, if that's what we're clothed in. We're clothed in righteous acts of God's holy people. Why is Jesus not clothed in righteous acts of God's holy people? Why is he wearing a robe that's dipped in blood? What is that about? There are a variety of ideas on this. Um, But I really think that a big part of it is that this is the blood that represents the blood that he spilled 
in order that we can be dressed in white. That he has already fought the battle on the cross. That's why there's not a big battle at the end. That battle has already happened, and he's already won. And so when he shows up on this white horse, he's not showing up to do battle. He's showing up to declare victory. And so when he shows up, he's already showing up with crowns on his head and the title King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's not showing up to see what's going to happen now when we all do battle. That's already happened. And this is where, uh, for us, is we think about what Jesus has done, but also what's coming. This is what we're supposed to be living in light of now. That uh, in 2 Corinthians it says, you know, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That uh, there is a, you we talk about being saved from the penalty of sin, but we're also being saved from the power of sin in our lives. That there should be a hungering and a thirsting for righteousness, that we should be desiring what is good and right and true to the point that that might even, uh, that might even lead to personal sacrifice. When we say this is what would be good and right and true, but if I do that, I'd lose out financially. If I do that, I'd, I'd lose my standing in my community. If I do that, I might um, cause a relational strain. If I do that, what is good and what is right and what is true, I might have to pay a price. We should be hungering and thirsting for righteousness that we would be willing to do what is good and right and true, trusting in Jesus, even when that means that we might personally have to sacrifice. I understand. This is not the message of the world. <laughs> the message of the world is you do what's good and true is right and right when it benefits you. And when it doesn't, you try to get away with stuff and hope nobody notices. Right? That's the message of the world, isn't it? That's not the message of Jesus. It is we should be longing for this, but not only should we be longing for it, but we should trust that in him we actually have the power to do what is good and true and right. (laughs) That he has done for us what is necessary and given us his word and given us his spirit to be able to do that which we could not do on our own. And this is what we should be longing for and striving for. And when we read back through that list again in Ephesians, this is what we're putting on, right? It's the belt of truth. It's the breastplate of righteousness. It's feet that are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. It's the shield of faith. It's the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now, one last thing. As it relates to this sword of the spirit, um, which knows the heart. It cuts both ways. It's been said that that the word of God and any good sermon ought to uh, do two things. Um, It should 
comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Have you heard that before? And if you go to Luke 18, I think we see a good example of exactly this. I know you've heard this before. You've been here a while. We read it from time to time. As to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Here's the point. In this um, parable that Jesus tells, you have the word of God cutting both ways. The one who is exalting himself is going to be humbled. The one who's looking down on everybody else and who says, ah, God, I thank you that I'm not like that guy over there. So he gets humbled. He is condemned for his arrogance and for his hypocrisy and, um, and his pride. Then the other guy, the other guy, the same <laughs> It's not what's on the outside. It's what's on the inside. Beating his breast, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, that's who's justified. The one who's comfortable in his own righteousness, that's who goes home not justified. That's who is or needs to be afflicted when they hear this. On the other hand, the one who is um, aware of the depth of their own sin to be comforted, knowing of the, the mercy and the grace of God and that Jesus has died for sinners. And so when we hear this, and this, this is <laughs> it's all coming back around, when we hear about those who are clothed in the fine uh, linen and we're like, oh, it's the righteous deeds of God's holy people, And we go, so then what I need to do is compare myself to everybody else and make sure that I'm looking better than they are because that's what counts. That's what those righteous deeds are. And that's why I point us to this parable in Luke to say that's not it at all. (laughs) Not at all. It's all about what is going on in our own hearts, that relationship with Jesus that recognizes the depth of our own sin and the amazing grace and mercy and righteousness of Jesus who loved us so much that he gave his life for us that we can now live with him and for him and uh, experience his life in us even now. This is what leads then to those, um, those righteous acts and not in a way that anyone gets to look down on anyone else. As it's been said, the, uh, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. If that's where we are, then we see everyone else as uh, equal 
uh, brothers and sisters, sinners saved by grace and seeking to serve him by his spirit and by his word. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. And God, we do thank you for your word. And God, we do ask that you would help us. Help us to be uh, led. Help us to be guided. Help us to be shaped and formed. God, by your word and by your spirit. God, we do ask that you would give us uh, hearts that are... um, inclined to you and your righteousness and your justice and your truth and your mercy and your grace. God, we pray that you would help us to see more and more rightly as we uh, look to you, as we see ourselves, as we see those around us. Lord, help us to continue to um, walk close with you. And God, help us to be good ambassadors of you in this world. God, even as we put on your armor, God, that in, in the end, we would be those who stand. Lord, I pray all this In the name of Jesus, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And it's not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.